Welcome to King Size. King Through the Ages, as Stephen King podcast. For obsessives, by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Jamie Stewart. The Naughties, Part 3. So we're still here, we're still standing, um, and we have come to the end of the beam. And interestingly enough, Jamie and I were were reflecting, you know, on that episode and reflecting on this time in which King's writing, um, this decade and this point in particular, and, you know, where he sits with his popularity. And um, Jamie, where do we find King at the moment? Well, with the amount of books that he's been released, the soap and dark tar heavy, I feel like interest in kind of King wasn't necessarily the biggest name as he was in comparison to other points in his career when he was writing more horror focused books. And not to say that the next book, The Cell, which is one we're going to talk about now, is the reason why he wrote this book. I think there's other reasons and they'll become quite clear as we begin to discuss it. Um, but I think. I personally, when I heard this book was coming out, and by this time I had read everything King had written, I, I was now buying the books as they came out. So the sale was the first one that I bought on the shelf, you know, as it was published mm. in the timeline of my life. And I remember being so excited about King taking on, a, like writing horror, being back in the main, like main horror genre and writing about zombies. We've had a werewolf book, we've had a vampire book, and Cell is marketed as King's take on the zombie subgenre. And especially for me, because the zombie subgenre is my absolute favorite subgenre of horror. I love zombies from Resident Evil video games to The Night of Living Dead by George Romero. I love them. So I was so excited to read this book when it came out. And when it did come out, I was immediately disappointed because King does his own take on zombies. And you can tell that I'm not really a, a person that uh, that is, <laughs> is open to change. His own take on zombies is that um, everyone around the globe is affected by a signal that goes out through mobile phones called the pulse. And it turns people into initially into mindless zombie killers. And that's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. a brilliant idea. And it opens up in Boston with this um, struggling uh, graphic artist uh, called Clayton uh, Riddell. And he's just sold his big book after years and years of struggling and the whole fucking world goes to pieces. People are ripping out throats in front of each other. Planes are crashing into buildings. Uh, police are coming and shooting people and uh, and mm. th- and that's it. And uh, and civilization crumbles immediately and it's absolute chaos. And that, that section's so fantastic and it's, it's reminiscent of like some of the best writing with the stand, but it's like put through like just... It's sent on a roller coaster because it happens so fast. Mm-hmm. But then the zombies within this begin to develop um, telepathy. They begin to become 
more human or at least more uh, gain more intelligence and begin to act like a hive mind and that's where I struggled with mm. so I did and I kind of just sort of dismissed it and was quite disappointed by this book especially for a book that was marketed as King's Return to Horror <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, great little soundbite there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The return to they use endlessly. Yeah. They use that far too much. So far they... <laughs> too much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Again, it's like that ease of that return to form. Well, when when did the form drop? Or when you know the last year? There's always the soundbite, isn't it? Uh, for me, this I, I've done it a couple of times, and and first time I was just struck by what a product of its time it is you know uh you know 9-11 the Iraq war yes. 2004 you know George W Bush re-elected as president um so very strange times I think uh terrifying times worldwide but especially for the states and, and I think that is reflected in the books you know uh, in cell in particular you know the truck bombs the cell phone detonators um refugee I, element of it you know there are so many people are made refugees particularly americans in this yeah. book it's the american fear that they're the power is removed from them. you know america at this time is considered the most powerful nation and 2006 there was so much around patriotism within that country you know everyone was galvanized for america to be the word police of you know of the of the west and go into these places and stop the evil and stuff like that and make it oh, safe for all, everyone oh. You know, and the fact that everyone in this book, uh, the whole America as a country is reduced to people living, you know, sleeping during the day and moving at night because that's the only time it's safe. And, you know, going back to basically caveman days, you yeah. could see why it didn't come across well. It was. I think it's just too close. It was released too close to the time period. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, because there's so many, you know, I remember after 9-11 and you know, obviously everyone's like, well, when will there be, when will the first film uh, talk about that? You know, the mm. first uh, film nod its head to that, the first bit of writing to address that. I, I, and everyone had very different ideas on when was a, when it felt appropriate. Was it too close to the time? Is it actually dishonouring so many by not talking about it? So it felt like a really uh, unstable um period of time especially for for people who make their living as authors and artists yeah. and, and those people that create you know do you just go for full escapism because on some levels from the zombie idea of cell you can go full escapism but it's hard to not read it as a product of its time um and it just is infused with that um mm -hmm. i love the idea that king wrote it he saw a woman come out of a new york hotel she was chatting on a cell phone um, and he wondered what would happen if she heard an irresistible sound compelling her to kill coming in over her phone signal. So again, the what if that we talk about, that is clearly there. There's there's some nice little nods to how rubbish old people are with phones compared to the young people characters within it. And yeah. I class myself as an old person now, okay, when it comes to looking at tech uh, and my 10-year-old is going, no, 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 dad, this is how you do it. So nice little nods to that. Um I think it works can work you know it depends what read you want from it it can yeah. I remember it can be pulpy enjoyable fun with echoes of desperation to it uh, it feels like a, the most fun he's had this decade but yeah. again you know you can't escape the shadow for me of you know uh, uh, of the towers and this time upon it I think look at so 
that was my initial read. I was disappointed. I have since reread this book and I fucking loved it. I thought it was such a blast, especially after coming out of the darkness of the Dark Tower, mm-hmm. after the darkness of all the last six books. I mean, there it feels, yeah, this book is very, you know, the world ends in it, but it just feels like King is having fun. He's not in doing it to make a message or to not to explore sort of these nihilistic feelings he's had. He's just having fun with this idea. And, but also like, putting a mirror up like this is america's nightmare at this time you know yeah. you know they they lost you know they lost in this book um and they were just the key of man days as i've said and i just think that's so clever and yeah it probably explains why it didn't do well at the time because it was too close to the pulse of you know it was too t- a tender an issue to talk about the fact that this could happen but i just think it the only problems i had in this book in my review were some of the characters were one-dimensional like clay just wants to get to his his son uh, who has happens to have a mobile phone his son johnny and save him but he doesn't really pay any thought to his um his ex-wife even though they're divorced i just couldn't imagine anyone being like so on like oh yeah she exists <laughs> you know um because that's the kind of way that it comes across he thinks briefly of his wife and then it's all about the son he doesn't really give her much remorse and thomas mccourt who's a middle-aged man who's the sort of support one of the supporting characters um it's not handled really well that i think it's it's hinted at that he is homosexual and it's not really handled well in the book not that king does it doesn't do it uh like makes like makes it fraud or, or it picks him in any way poorly it just it um it just i don't know it just doesn't come across to me as being as as well depicted as it personally could have been um um, but I, I still thought that this was a blast. You know, you you were right there in what you referenced to this desperation. Like there's just such a pulpy fun to it that you know you kind of miss from King. And I got that in this book that I hadn't got in, in a really long time since Desperation. I think it's even ten years. De- desperation and this book are ten years apart. Yeah. So I really appreciated it for that reason of just having this sort of like you don't really need to think when you're reading the book <laughs> yeah yeah and that's not a that's not a bad thing <laughs> yeah exactly sometimes that is just what's needed and it feels like in this decade for king he needs that as well after the weight of the dark tower the you know the slimness of the colorado kid and uh just feels like this is the the fun the energy boost that he needs um Interestingly, at the time, sales were decent. Uh, Sell debuted in the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list. Stayed there for three weeks. Um, But then, yeah, James Patterson's The Fifth Horseman knocked it down uh, the charts. Because as we said, at this time, especially the crime writers, the thriller writers were really, really, I mean, you know, churning out blockbusters after blockbusters. So for King, that kind of, you know, at a time of maybe he's not the best-selling author in the world. Yeah. I don't know, though. I, I think there was a time where he felt he, he that those things matter to him, but I don't know now what he thinks. I mean, The Dark Tower is finished. He's basically said he's retired, and yet he's produced another book. And I think he's just at that point where it's just like, I can write whatever I want and I'm just going to follow whatever I want to do and I'm not going to do it for commercial things. I think he talks about at this time period, this is when he begins to realize he didn't have to work for a living anymore. He didn't have to write for a living that, you know, even if he didn't sell the next book, they were fine. The family was well together. He basically realized his 
his financial situation yeah. uh, who he is and um now he can just have fun and tell the stories he wants to tell, which you know, and 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 that's where it feels so freeing. I know these are the, my my reread has taken me, you know, three years, going on three years, going on four years, mm-hmm. and um, and that and that's because going into the, reading those books at difficult periods in his life really slowed it down. Like reading the Tommy Knockers, reading the Dark Half, mm-hmm. and that period when he was you know on drugs and when he was off drugs, and then reading the Dark Tower series, the longest parts of my reread has been getting through these books because they you know there's just such you know bleakness in them and and he's dealing with so many hefty things it's nice to have a book that you're just that's just there for entertainment reason you know and at the end of the day that's really where he probably that's what for me that's where i come from when i sit down to write i write to entertain and i think Mm. his first all his books have been several you know entertainment things but Mm. is such a writer that you know he he deals with questions and thoughts in his life through his fiction, and so much yeah. of his fiction lately has been about that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to get to one not that long away where he is able to talk about somebody who has gone through an accident that has changed their life, but in a way that feels that he's apart from it. So it's not so much about it's just not as grim and he's not yeah. in that space. He's got the right sort of hindsight. Now he's enough time has passed to talk about it in a way that, um, you know, allows for other things. But yeah. So. Yeah. And it, for me, it feels like the first book that he's done in a while where the reader has that choice to put different spins upon it, which is something I mm. always love with, with King's book. It can, King's finest works can exist as, pure entertainment escapism fiction but also if you choose to go wow this is a documentation of the world um and america being shaken to the core the threat of bioterrorism the menace of computer technology (laughs) and you know we pick up our phones and we become zombies if you choose to put that read on there the story allows you to and it's Mm. been a little while i felt since you know especially in this decade we've been had a story that's enabled us to do that um so it feels like it is just starting to turn the corner a little bit you know even the size of it 355 pages in the paperback that 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 i've got you know it just feels like it's um yeah not necessarily a return to form but it just feels like it's got firmer footing than its predecessors in the few years before brilliant books um uh, books that uh, as the years go on i've gone to appreciate them more and more um lindsay's story is a story that came out in 2006 um and for me i didn't really appreciate it at the time i mean i was 16 17 and it's you know it's it's an it's a book about the internal workings of a marriage uh it's about um scott langdon and his wife lizzie and scott has fortunately passed away years ago but still uh, lizzie is struggling with the grief of that and one of the struggles is going through his what what he's left behind because scott was an author and quite a well-reviewed and well-received author and there's a lot of universities and a lot of fans that are scratching at the door wanting his you know his material that's left over and she it's it's but it pains her to go through them because it's it's like a time capsule it's like going backward throughout their relationship and seeing what they used to have and what she no longer has 
And I think it's a really brilliant, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching book for that. And it really cuts to the core of these two people in this marriage. My only problem with it, and a problem that that when I was at face when I was much younger, is it is so embedded in the internal language of a marriage that the, the king makes a fictional language in the same way that Tolkien makes a fictional language in terms of Elvish. There's a fictional language that exists between Scott and Lisi that the reader doesn't understand and doesn't know the emotional impact of those words when they use them. So it gets a bit bogged down, especially where the king uses it so much. There's you know, whole paragraphs that maybe four of the words are you know, words like smucky and stuff like that. And you as a reader have to remember what they mean when they're explained to you. But even the ones that don't get explained to you, the kind of the the there's no emotion there because you're not that person, you're not in that relationship, and so it's it's sort of a it's 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 a difficult it can be a difficult book I think for many readers it's certainly not one I would say this is the this is the first book of King you should read you should read Lizzie's story, but it's one more for the completists and one more for people that understand his voice. And uh, and so having reread it recently, I read it, reread it last year. It really, really hit me. It really struck me the just the emotional weight of it, and uh, I loved it. So I did. I still have problems with that language. I still think it dry. It it, it slows it down and makes it difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you once the 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 actual crux of the premise starts, it's really good. And. King mentions that it's his favourite of the books and he's often gone on record as saying this is his number one. Um, But interesting, you say it's not one perhaps that you would first introduce somebody to. I wonder what makes it for King so one of his favourites. If you could put your your, your thoughts on that. uh, He's talked about how it's basically, you know, what he imagines life would be like for his wife and basically he he writes it as a loving tribute to his wife but i think but he's also gone to say that he recognizes that there are faults in that book and i think what was interesting about lizzie's story in the book that came before it cell there's an interesting thing that would happen with them in that lizzie cell was actually supposed to be published in 2008 there was an interview he did where he talked about how that's when he saw it being at the level of it being published. And it's published in 2006, 2005. So it was came out early. So it basically he had to, he wrote that novel and it, and it's still a working project. Same with this. It feels like I think if, you know, he went and did the TV show and he wrote the episodes of the TV show that's currently come out with Julian Moore. And I think that was his opportunity to recorrect on some of the book's topics because I think in some readings it can be taken as um, Lizzie very much is not submissive but her life doesn't mean as much as Scott's life because Scott's the celebrity and Scott's the talent Mm. and I don't think that's necessarily something he intentionally went to communicate but Lizzie as a character doesn't have much outside of Scott and I think it could have been a bit more developed there she has her sisters and you know there's there's interactions there but as a personal as her own what's her hobby we never learn it you never know what she does within the book in terms of what is her driving force you know just we do it's very sort of thin in the ground there and, and as such every reaction she has is a reaction to something that has affected Scott's life so even though it's called Lizzie's story Lizzie's story is primarily driven by Scott so much of for me the books <clears throat> post accident are autobiographical in a way that his first quarter century of writing isn't you know there's when i reread 
you know, from Carrie, Pet Cemetery, The Stand. There, there, there's a detachment um, that isn't there so much after the accident. After the accident, it seems like everything is laid bare um, or we can choose to connect it. And, and what I found fascinating with this, Jamie, is reading that um, in a, a few weeks before, a few days rather, before he was put into hospital uh, with, with pneumonia, he received the Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. Mm-hmm. And he's really famous for the speech he gave there for two reasons. One of which he, you know, said, look, include more popular fiction in the nominations. And this is something that I think is absolutely key for me because there is still this idea that fiction, if it is popular, is fiction that is not particularly well written. And King has been such an advocate in trying to bust that myth that you can be Stephen King, you can be Lee Child. That doesn't mean that the books that you write aren't good quality just because they're popular. So there was that that was his, you know, something he was really uh, powerfully advocating for. And the other thing was about he dedicated the speech and everything that he he achieved so far to Tabitha, saying about it was her love, her dedication allowed him to write and how she was there when he was poor without prospects. And she's still there when he's got all the awards for uh, in sickness and in health, for for richer, for poorer, uh, for better, for worse. And it's a real um, love letter to his wife. And then a few days later, he's in hospital uh, with pneumonia, had surgery to remove scar tissue fluid from the lung. And then he came back. And when he was um, in that hospital for a week, Tabitha redecorated the writing studio. And she you know, put all his books and his papers, they were all packed up, the shelves were bare. And again, it made him think of, my God, you know, what happens to the life of the person you share your life with if they think that you're, you know, you're no longer there, Um, the echoes of that. So for me, it seems like a deeply autobiographical book, this. And I wonder if that's why he holds it so close and why it connects so deeply to people. I think I think you're completely right in that situation, um, uh, in what you've just described. Because I think King, some of King's works, best works, he's always been able to take from his personal life and put it in, even in small things like you know interactions he's had with people. He's put that in books like Salem's Law and The Shining. But you're right in saying after the accident, we we talk about in the Dark Tower how like. He was talking about retirement and that was ending and that he wasn't going to publish again. But I also feel like with the dark tower being over, writing is so integral to who he is, I don't think he can stop. So what he's doing now is he's free from the shackles of creating a series or doing build up to the series of the dark tower that he can write whatever he wants. And now he's basically exploring his personal life through fiction. I mean, we're going to get to other books that we're going to talk about later on, and certainly that's the accident comes up again and the recovery from the accident. So Lizzie's story talks about that. It's a a fascinating book as well because, you know, I've talked about how King's writing has changed over the years, and you can see that with the beginnings of the style and Bag of Bones, how it's become more introspective. And there's actually rumours around that does King, is King still writing the books or is it ghostwritten? And with Lizzie's story, you see that introspective writing come full, you know, like full whack. He doesn't really describe the external world, like the rooms the characters are in or the the clothing they're wearing. It's all internal. It's internal monologues. It's how they're feeling and stuff like that and how they react to certain things. So it's it's, it's a a tonal shift in how he 
creates worlds now. And, yeah. and, and as it should be, because, you know, how many books has he published? How many decades has he been writing? He's keeping himself interested. He can't just keep writing, you know, the same things. And I, I do love the early 70s books and how the, his, he used descriptive language. Say a primary example is like when Mark Petrie's tied up and he spends like you get a minute by minute detail of Mark trying to escape inside Marston House and how the house, house thinks in the room and the, mm. the sun going down and how the, the vampires are coming out. He doesn't write like that anymore. He doesn't write those kind yeah. of uh, external worlds as detailed as he do, does. And this is like the moment where he leaves it all behind, where he just, he's fully introspective writing now. Yeah, I, and it is it's it's such a love letter, isn't it, to Tabitha? And and interestingly, on a practical level, we know that King tends to not do a huge amount of publicity uh, and interviews. You know, apart from when he's got a book coming out, and even then, it's slightly, you know, not a full scale uh, event. Whereas here, he did publicity for it. There was a real push to get this into bookstores. Um, and his publishers put a real weight behind this. Um, you know, uh, it, it felt like this was a real after sale that came out. You know, this was 10 months after sale. Mm-hmm. This had a bigger word count. Um, Scribner pushed, you know, w- printed 1.1 million copies of this. It was a real kind of bang. You know, King is here. King is back. <laughs> um, it, it really feels like it with that book. Um, and interesting enough, when they asked King about, well, you know, this book is written for Tabby and it's a declaration of love. Um, how, how did she respond to it? King says, I don't think she's real crazy about this book, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, she's not, she's not a fan. She's not a fan. <laughs> I love um, that. I suppose it is. So it is. It is. It is a despairing but topic. Just thinking on from a partner's point of view, and I think it's just a despairing topic as well. And I think for fans as well, you know, for King fans, you know, at that time he'd gone through so many life-threatening experiences, the pneumonia, the car accident, and having this book come out, it would kind of be a very bitter pill to sort of read that from that outlook because we had almost lost him twice, and we didn't, and. uh you know, this book doesn't celebrate, it's not a celebratory book. It's a book about grief. It's a book about struggle. And it is really grim in that way. So we go from, you know, so we had obviously Sal that mm-hmm. um, 10 months previous that was, you know, a lot of big dumb fun to something that feels achingly personal. And as you said, yeah. it's a book, it's a story, it's a novel about grief and a reflection of what happens, the aftershocks uh, to to somebody after the earthquake or when someone is taken away from them, what happens to the person that is left. Uh, beautiful, beautiful story. Um, and then we go on to um, Just After Sunset is, yes. is, is, well, is the next We should one. mention as well, Blaze came out. We've already mentioned it in our 70s stuff because it was written at that time, but this is when Blaze actually comes out. And I, I implore anyone who hasn't read Blaze to read it. It's a fantastic yeah. Um, heartfelt novel, really, really good, really quick read, really fast. Um, one of the things that I love to talk about, Blaze, is Blaze, a lot of the story happens in flashback. 
And for me as a reader, I always find flashback something I'm not really interested in. Yeah. Like it's, it's sort of like, all oh, right, I have to do this. I have to read this to learn about motivations. But I really want to focus on where the story is at present. In Blaze, the flashbacks are tremendous. They are the they are the meat of the story for me. I'm just so invested in them. I love learning about this character, Blaze, and how he becomes a criminal and how he goes through, you know, the uh, the orphanage system, the foster system and all that stuff in me and at a time, I think in the 50s and and 60s and it's really really brutal and really really heartfelt and it's certainly it's one of his you know surprise it's as as an underrated title certainly i totally agree and it was released as a backman book wasn't it there was the whole kind of yeah what was the story behind this one it was was backman's trunk novel that's right backman's wife found uh, backman's fiction a wife found it in a trunk and decided to publish it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is after he died of cancer the pseudonym but yeah. there was just there was one final yeah novel that was found which is blaze Blackman has always been known as being really hard and really grim and really bleak but with blaze there is actually a lot of hope in this book so if you get a bit dire from lazy's story blaze is an excellent one to pick you up again yeah and on on blaze for me it is my favorite one of my favorite Backman book easily and and one of my favorite kings i think it is so beautiful the character study and so much for me of king's writing there's that elements and echoes of john steinbeck and you know Mm -hmm. of mice and men in particular and americana and these character studies again you know as, as king said in his speech you know let's you know popular fiction that that means that the fiction is popular because it connects because it's filled with characters that are beautifully drawn and portrayed. Mm-hmm. And for me in Blaze, I mean, the characters are so beautifully pitched and I get real echoes of, um, of Mice and Men, Lenny in particular, yeah. you know, that gentle giant. Um, and it's, it's a heartbreaking, it's a heartbreaking story, but it's, it's so delicate and beautiful. And the cover I've got, Jamie, is these these really strong sturdy hands just yeah. coupled together holding a, a bird within it the 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 fragility and, and then the solidity of of you know uh, 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 of the person there uh, it's it's a stunning it's a stunning book stunning book yeah yeah so just after sunset uh, you were mentioned there that's the next mm. book it's a collection of short stories yeah so this is the second collection we've had in this decade because we had everything is eventual at the beginning and for me, right, yeah. it's it's a collection that I really, I really find to be. I'm going to the word to me is mediocre. That comes to it. It's just yeah. average. It's just something I forget about. Yeah. Um, I felt that way when I read it first time. I felt that way in my reread. King actually opens the book with an introduction that talks about how he feels that if you don't write short stories often enough, you learn lose the knack for it. And unfortunately, when I was reading this books, I this collection, I felt that with the short stories there were just there wasn't like if you look at all those other short story collections there's so many interesting ideas that are the center of each short story for the majority of them and these ones i just can't they're so bland they're just so there's what there's two that stand out to me as being really good one's called the gingerbread girl Mm -hmm. which is sort of a coda to another not to juma key which we'll talk about later on and it's set in florida it's about a woman who is getting divorced after losing a a child and she's taken up running she's always ran but now she's obsessed with it and she discovers that her neighbor that she's living close to in florida is a serial killer and uh and it's a great really sort of really well written story 
um, that I enjoy. And it's the, the one of the standouts for me in that collection. Um, and the other one that I can think about that, the only one I can remember is called um, The Cat from Hell. The Cat from Hell, yeah. <laughs> but which is apparently a story that's existed since Night Shift. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I sort of looked, even though I really like the story, I think, well, it, it was written in the 70s. It wasn't written it, for this collection. So I Yes, mean, exactly. It was in seven. Yeah, it was yeah. in 77. It was in Cavalier. It was published in a magazine then or an early edition of it. Yeah. yeah. Which, and you can tell, like, it's <laughs> it's Night Shift King. It's 70s King, right? Yeah. Which is lovely yeah. to see. Um, and it's just, it's an absolutely brutal, you know, Night Shift kind of story where it's just like, it doesn't care about feelings and it's just yeah. all, you know, horror and in your face. And it's really nice to have that grim sort of, sort of, well, you know, you can tell. King sitting at his typewriter, laughing his head off as he's as he's writing that, just thinking, "How far can I push the envelope?" That's what he is. That's what he's doing. With the other ones, however, the more modern ones like um, Will Willa and um, Harvey's Dream, there's a bit more sentimentality there. There's a less there's less teeth in the stories. I find mm. even one there's one called Anne, which is a Lovecraftian tale that about OCD, and even for me, that one is just. Yeah, it's just you know I know a lot of people it seems to be a popular one but for me it, just, it doesn't work it, it just yeah. I, I, I'm not as gripped yeah. um, so I am and I think there is there is something there is King is right that if you don't write them enough you miss them and if you think about when he was in the 70s he that was how he made his income he didn't write novels he wrote short stories so mm-hmm. when he brought out Night Shift that was a collection of everything he'd written at that time it was the best of that quality and I think that it really shows there because you can tell that this person that's writing these stories if he doesn't write them well enough he's not going to make any money and that's a waste of his time and he's needing that money for his kids and you know We've always said that each short story that collection that's been released, it's always sort of been a diminishing return of quality. And I think that's because his focus is on bigger writing, bigger fiction, the novels and stuff like that. And it just pulls away from the, the well, he's not having the opportunity to write those short stories and he doesn't have the need to write them yeah. as much. And as such, they sort of lose a bit of teeth. And he's also getting older. His percep- perception of where he wants to tell a story has changed. And I don't think he's as interested as being that sort of hard edge. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we're viewing this with the luxury of, you know, looking at it with hindsight. Um, But at the time, I mean, it must be incredibly frustrating as a King fan because you have a release, uh, such as Lisa's story, that is incredibly hard hitting about grief, um, very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And then you go from that to, you know, these short stories here that really, especially after Everything's Eventual, which did contain a number of heavy hitters, feels like he's treading water. I mean, you know, it must be really frustrating because you th- expect him to go from Lisa's story to something even deeper. I mean, sometimes, is there a case of him shooting himself in the foot and giving his critics fuel to the fire? I think if you look at every, so this is, as I said, it's the first decade where we had two short story collections at once. Every decade we've had one. We've had Night Shift, Skeleton Crew, um, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and we've had um, Everything's Eventual. So it's that's that to me collects everything he's written from the last one. And the time period between them is about a decade's worth of time. Everything's Eventual is what released in 2002, 2003, and this comes out in 2007. There isn't that much time to accumulate the same amount of quality stories as, um, see, 
where did it come out? Yeah, 2007, 2008. So there isn't that amount of time between them to quite create, you know, or have 12 stories that he can pick out of other stories that he might perhaps wouldn't want to publish. And um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it is what it is, is maybe just, I don't feel really, and you kind of wonder why it was released. Because King doesn't need to release short story collections. You know, he doesn't at all. Like he's at a stage in his thing where he can do it. He maybe feels that he was very proud of these short stories and that he, and that, Maybe that's why, but for me, I have, I just find that it's one of the, my lowest ranking books for me in terms of my personal favorite, not because I find it bad in it, but just because it's just not something that I find memorable and, you know, and it just it lacks teeth in comparison to the others that have come before it. Mm. So that's what I have. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. It's, um, uh, it's and and then it's almost like in a way we're, we're treading water before then the release of the you know the next novel Juma Key, which I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about it because I know I've I, I, I I've heard you mention it in passing before uh, and I know where it's held for a lot of King fans. Um, Juma Key, talk talk us through it, Jamie. So Jim McKee is my favorite Stephen King book. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Published in 2008. I have read it six times since then. I've even, one of those reads has even been the audio version. I've listened to it. Um, it's an incredible, fantastic book. We have talked about how King has written, you know, autobiographical works of King. And Lizzie's story is so close to the bone. It's so close yeah. to, you know, his life that it's almost not a work of fiction. Um, but this is where he sort of, for me, gets the formula right. He takes an element from his life, i.e. someone that's gone through a traumatic car accident, which is in the case of the main character, Edgar Fremantle. He is run over by a digger trolley in a construction site. He loses an arm. It causes him to have brain damage. And uh, so that's the reality there. King's talking about what he's experienced, though the injuries aren't the same, he experienced mm -hmm. injuries of that severity. Mm -hmm. And then the recovery, he's able to talk about, but he's able to talk about now through the lens of time. King is not sitting as he was in Dreamcatcher, writing from a place of pain. He's writing from the perspective of someone who's moved past the pain and is reflecting back on how he was and how he coped with recovery. But Edgar Fremantle isn't. He's experiencing pain as it is. So it, it provides this interesting kind of uh, dynamic where King can actually talk about it from hindsight. But Edgar is experiencing it in the present. You know, he has these moments of red mist that descends where he's violent and aggressive towards his wife because, mm -hmm. um, because of the brain injury, but also because of frustration at himself because his speech is gone and he, he wants to say something. He knows what the descriptive turn of something is, like a chair. He asks his wife to sit in a chair and he can't get it. And you feel that frustration. It's a very raw book in that way. Mm. And there's these elements, like it has the potential to, to go over in itself and become so sort of dark because about 150 pages, you'd learn that Edgar is contemplating suicide and he has his therapist and he says, you can't do it because if you do it now, your daughters, he has two daughters and his wife, his ex-wife, becomes will know and they'll never forgive you for it so you need to you need to live you need to live long and you need to think about this and if you're going to do it you need to do it right and you also need hedges against the night you need something to fixate on and he has an old talent he used to diddle as a kid he used to enjoy art so he decides to um go to florida and go to a place called jimmy key um which was known for a sort of a, a hub for artists and painters 
and he begins to paint and his paintings have these surreal supernatural qualities to them and it's just fucking awesome like it like there is brilliant moment where edgar is by himself and he's like talking to himself as a man who has now had so many months isolation he's divorced he's been living alone and he goes into his fridge and he says simple things like are we go for bologna do we have bologna we are go for bologna we have cheese we go for bologna and cheese sandwich and it's just him and it's this wee funny wee thing and it becomes so much more lighter then while he's on Jim McKee and and it's just fantastic for that I love it he he begins to have this relationship with a, a bromance with this other man who lives down in the street uh, called Wireman and it's this lovely beautiful friendship and love affair between these two men that isn't sexual I should mention and um, it's just it's fantastic to see that writing and to see that relationship and uh, Wireman is looking after this wealthy woman who looks like uh, the godfather's grandmother yeah. and it's just it's and there's this lovely relationship that Edgar has to his one of his daughters and you get to experience all these things and it's just it's just it's a book that King could only have written at this point in his life. He needed to yeah. go through and try it, but he also needed to have aged in his writing style. And this is the one I, I on this point as a first time reader, I wasn't really sold in his introspective writing style, this new writing style. I preferred the older one. But with this this book, this is where it works. This is where he owns it and it, it clicks for me as a reader, where I just fully love this this just the way he tells the story it's amazing so it's your you know number one and uh, and that's coming from someone that's you know r- read pretty much everything king's written and reread most of them you know your love your knowledge of king is is second to none and you've read it six times with each read what w- w- what more do you uncover well, the interesting thing is each read, I always forget the second half of the book. <laughs> so I do, it's like my mind is, and it's, it's, and the second half of the book is really traumatic and it's really like scarring to what, ha- what happens to the reader because you fall in love with these characters and King is very good about pulling that out from under you and, uh, and under Edgar as well. And, um, you just kind of, uh, so I think I'm scarred every time I read it that I forget about it and then I go back to read it because mm-hmm. I remember how brilliantly the first part of it is and the parts where King, like, I love when King talks about anything creative and he's talking about art here and he's talking about painting, but and he, I don't know if he paints at all, but he talks about it in the same sort of relish and love the way he talks about writing and it's lovely to hear King just kind of gush and relish on over the creative process. And I, I love those wee excerpts about, you know, his first attempts at painting and stuff. It's just so, it's just brilliant. It is brilliant. It is one of the best. I would say it's not just his best King book. It is one of the best books ever written. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, again, Jamie, you know, it's your, your favourite King as we know, when you're introducing, say, somebody to King or you're getting them into his writing, as you said, he's he's aged in his writing style here. He's mm. writing here. You know, he wrote this book when he's 66. He wrote this while, while writing this book. It's a different style. There's a different impact or hit than maybe, you know, um, a Salem's Lot, for example. How How would you introduce somebody to this book you know because again we might have a favorite book that might be really personal to us but it might not be the mainstream one we'd introduce someone to where would you you know introduce someone to this book on their journey with king 
I think this is a good for a first time reader who isn't a fan of the horror genre because the horror genre, while there is spooky stuff that happens in this book, it's not what drives this story. And it's a bit like it has the power and the emotional impact of something like 11, 22, 63 for me. You know, it has that sort of feel level. Um, so it does. So I think, and that's a book that is always recommended to first time readers are king. And I think if you're wanting to get an idea of what the emotional impact this author can have mm-hmm. and the kind of depth of character this author can have. Cause again, it's like an, it is a book that is like an ensemble cast, even though it's Edgar's story and every single character within it from the art dealers that live, um, that he sells, Edgar sells his art through to the young man that helps him out in his house. Everyone stands out. You remember them. You remember who they are. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's fantastic for that. You can tell that this is a book that is very lived in. I'm glad he didn't rush it um, or anything like that compared to, say, Lizzie Story or, or Sale, because this book just ticks all the boxes for me. It is both entertaining and literature. Yeah. And it deals with weighty themes, as we've spoken about, you know, including, you know, one of his great fears, Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, that absolutely takes place within some of, some of the writing, some of the characters and something that he's admitted he's really afraid of. I think as anyone is but especially a writer someone whose gift is capturing their imagination mm-hmm. and using their brain to be able to make their living and provide for their family and yeah. create and craft these characters and on the back of two near death episodes uh in short succession what i love about this period of king that we're talking about is for me as the reader it seems like king at his most vulnerable um his most human, perhaps his mm-hmm. most, his most real, perhaps. Yeah, and we've moved away from him having to put, you know, Easter eggs from other works yes. in his books. Yes. Like we, the last couple of ones, as we said, in, you know, with Sale and Lizzie's story, he's free from all that, the trappings of all that, and he still puts a lot of stuff in it. But Jim McKee is a wonderful book, and it feels so standalone um, from anything else he's ever done. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it um, for um, for me as a reader, because as much as I like the idea of like, oh, reading, you know, uh, seeing George Bannerman turn up in a book and stuff like that in another book, you know, that thrills me in a certain way. But at the same time, sometimes just having this self-contained story just really, uh, yeah. it just it just works on, a, on another level. It gives yeah. it a bit more, I think, power. Mm. Well, huge, huge power within that. And um, just brilliant to hear you you talk about that um and so you know i mean what a what a decade we've got and during you know (laughs) yeah and during that whole period he's still beavering away for this absolute doorstopper that then Mm -hmm. smacks us between the eyes which is of course one of his biggest books under the dome i like to say like Everyone says that the 70s are his best work or the 80s are. But from, say, Cell onward, and I know Cell gets some criticism, but we actually like what we like Cell in this. Mm-hmm. Cell is his place, Jim McKee, Under the Dome, 11 63 Went Through the Keyhole, Joyland, Doctor Sleep, Mr. Mercedes Revival. The, that is just quality work there. There are some brilliant stories and some of his best stuff that are happening. And this is in Ladder King, the king that we all, that most of his things, oh, that, that we don't read that anymore. Yeah. But these are fantastic stories. And I have recently revisited them for this podcast in the new year before um Willow was born I was burning through them so like under the dome is just as as fresh in my memory and um and I I enjoyed it when I first read it 
but because it, uh, it's again we're getting a big ensemble book it's set in a town called Chester Mill small town America dome comes down it's trapped I think this book got heavily criticised because um, the Simpsons movie came out before and had the same film uh, in the same storyline <laughs> says if he knew the Simpsons had did that storyline he wouldn't have wrote it and thankfully he didn't because on rereading this book I thought it was such a blast mm. it's, such a, it's such a callback to mm. it's such a callback to like Salem's Lot and it but it, it doesn't have the heaviness of those books it doesn't have like we're not going to we're not there's no big overarching theme it's just here's the situation it's in a town, so we have so many characters. I don't have the time to tell you about, like, you know, big themes or anything like that. We're just going to go for it. We're going to go blockbuster style, action movie style, pedal to the metal and do it. And it, it's wonderfully done. And and it has one of the best villains King's ever written. In big, big Jim, Jim Rennie. Yeah, Big Jim Rennie. <laughs> yeah, uh, who is just such a fantastic character. And uh, again, as King has said, you know, absolutely there is echoes there of how he felt about George W. Bush. This guy wasn't actually evil. He was just incompetent. And I love the fact that there is so much of King's politics um, that just starts to seep through in in this novel. And, and how can you not when you're writing it at this period in time? Um, but as you said, it's a real blast. I read it initially it was it was one that was on my uh did not finish pile because i just got overwhelmed by the sheer amount of characters within it and i remember spending the first hundred pages just literally almost getting repetitive strain injury from flipping back to going who's this who's this and i had to put it down because i wasn't reading it in the right headspace or the right time i then went back when i had a period where i could be quieter and immerse myself in it Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I absolutely loved it and was so glad that I went back and finished it because it is an absolute blast. And what what a feat to, to create this huge community and give them each their voices. And it's also, it does something that no other Stephen King book does. And this is why it should be really applauded. It has so much, so much of this book is from the, the point of view of the villain. Like if you think about The Stand and Randall Flagg, mm-hmm. We get what three chapters where Amplify is actually in it, and maybe one from his perspective. But you come to Under the Dome and Big Jim Rennie. Big Jim Rennie is almost like the main character of that book, and everyone else is reacting to him the heroes, the villains, the supporting cast. And it's just so interesting from that point of view that King actually does this sort of deep dive into a villain. You know, yeah. we always talk about how he mime, he pipe mimes into his characters and characterization is one of his best qualities. But like villain wise, like when he's dealing with supernatural stuff, he doesn't really go into the stuff like that. I mean, we get a chapter in Pennywise's head, but we don't really know Pennywise. Yeah. We don't. Yeah, yeah, we don't, yeah. We can't comprehend Pennywise, but we can comprehend this guy who uses religious dogma to gain followers and gain attention. And he doesn't really believe it um, because he's basically a sociopath. And like he only uses that in relation to himself because only he can be the top dog. Only he, only he can have salvation. And that's so interesting. And then couple that with the fact that he... Um, 
his son is completely psychotic because he's got a brain tumor and he's starting to murder people. And then the ending where he's you find out that Big Jim Rennie's actually a drug dealer despite all his outward yeah, yeah, yeah. being like a religious person and giving the charity and stuff like that. He deals meth. Um, just at the time Breaking Bad was coming out. Yes. He ends up, his death is choking to death on the fumes of all that uh, all that gas that he had basically accrued to create this awful drug. It's, it's, it's so well done. <laughs> yeah, there's some brilliant, po- you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Some brilliant payback. And, and again, it's, you know, I've often thought, you know, when King is at his best is when he writes about communities, when he writes about small town Americana, when he writes about these communities and there's something rotten, something is off, something isn't quite right. And a friend of mine, Paul, wrote about King's typewriter being both microscope and telescope, which I've always loved. And for me, it's a phrase that sums up King's writing so beautifully. So what better author and what better topic to take than you take King writing about uh, a small main town, tell an intricate multi-character alternative persp- alternating perspective story of those inhabitants under the dome, under the microscope where everything is turned up to 11. I mean, perfect. You take that and then you put them in a space where they cannot leave i mean yeah. again you have a pacemaker you get too close to that you've we see what happens yeah. so it's got such an intensity and i find huge comfort as well in the big doorstopper there is something so wonderful i think of just having this huge fat book in your hand this big hardback or paperback that's thousand over a thousand pages um and interestingly jamie as a theme these you know these books that king's writing in this decade they they you know they're sizable books yeah. with the exception of blaze you know they're what, 800 pages yeah absolutely jim mckee leases 500 600 close to yeah and, and i want yeah that's, that's a slim one but that's because it was a 70s book yeah, exactly. And again, I wonder if it, he has so, it feels like he is a man who has a lot to tell. Yeah. And the flip side, I guess, is that critics go, well, look, this needs a bit of editing. This needs a bit of pruning. But also, it might be a man who, again, you cannot escape it, has faced death in the face a couple of times and goes, I've got stuff I want to talk about. And to hell with however long that might take. Um, the criticism of this book is that. Um, you know the the uh, the alien aspect, the fact that the you know the the whatever creates the dome is only sort of touched upon, and, and you don't really get any evidence of that. But I think if you read the book, you realize it's not about that in any way. The dome yeah. is is the most like it's the most le- the least important thing of that book. The, the dome is just a situation. The characters are and how basically humanity turns on itself and how humanity yeah. doesn't in terms of one group the villains, one group the heroes, and how. One of them, one side manipulates the basically the general people in the middle to to you know become riotous and follow their basis instincts and all this stuff. I think there's a great you know King writes it so well when he talks about the riot that happens in the middle of the book, and there's actually like a a, a character who's thought of as being on the good side of things. Uh, comes out of it with like a cut head and he's got all this stuff and it's completely useless to him all the food that he's grabbed is completely useless and and one of the characters says to him like why did you do that and he says I don't know like I can't offer an answer mm-hmm. that. it was just the heat of the moment I fell into the heat of the moment this riotous energy and, so do you, uh, 
did you read so you've read this post covid right post pandemic yeah yeah because yeah, yeah, i would just I would yeah. just be so interesting in in knowing how that hit you because again, so much is what do you do when the chips are down, when society's pushed up against each other, you're in each other's faces. Again, this this looter going, I, I just felt like I had to do it. We saw COVID brought out the best and the worst in society, viewed through that lens, in the way that reading the stand in a post-COVID lens, it's fascinating, right? It is, but that's the thing. It's it's not shocking for that reason, um, because um, it's it's like two thousand and nine. This book came out, so what we're talking, we're talking maybe eleven years before COVID was on the horizon, and ten years really if you turn two thousand nineteen um, or twenty nineteen, and um, it's so like current. Mm. It just feels like watching a bit of news, uh, yeah, which is the horrifying thing of it, and I think that's you know. King is so on the pulse. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And I'm getting the sense that this decade is, you know, I mean, just look at the books we've covered this episode. Oh God, you'd you'd want to jump in with all of those. Maybe take the short stories because again, they're not reflective really of this time. It seems like almost like a collection, but those other those other stories, wow. What a what a juicy period of King. And I know we, we we ragged on the stories, and I'm sorry if people are fans of them that are fans, and that's just our opinion of them. But I do think that King comes back, like uh, Bizarre of Bad Dreams, which I'm about to go into next. It's my next read. I think it contains some of King's best short fiction. Mm. So you know, he clearly was able to spend more time on the uh, on the on focusing on that and, and focusing on the shorter fiction, um, because for me, there's just such yeah, there's they just it just grabs you that. I mean, there's one particular one that stands out. It's called You Are. Which yeah, is a yeah, wonderful, yeah, wonderful idea, and that's where the just the just after sunset stories lack is the ideas for the then those stories don't seem to be a sort of they don't have a sparkle or a polish. They're not as eye catching. They're kind of stuff you would expect someone like King to write. Yeah. Whereas King actually always does always writes stuff that you don't expect. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Dear listeners, I mean, I, I, yeah, this this man Jamie is a legend because you know, as you've been listening to this, he's not missed a single beat in which he's been pushing the pram, just keeping little Willow entertained. And we're now lucky enough to be joined by Willow, who is absolutely gorgeous and just adding a great deal of quality and beauty to our to the podcast and being as good as gold. Um, so Willow, if you'd allow us before uh, before you, I'm, I'm going to let your, your daddy take you and have you all to himself and you, uh, what are the ratings three and a half three and a half for sell <laughs> yeah 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 for me sell would be would be three um mm-hmm. so jamie what do we go for so we are going for uh lisa's story what are we going to rate for that one i read it a three i really enjoyed the story overall um but there's just certain aspects of it that stop me from like like the uh, the language of the family and stuff like that that predominantly sits yeah beginning half of the novel it kind of keeps me from fully getting hooked in and then after i reached the middle part i find that when that language sort of takes a back step then i was just sort of enthralled so it's three great yeah i'm gonna go for 3.5 um and because i just I, I love the fact that it seems like such a honest autobiographical book uh that really got me in the feels for that one um are we going to put blaze into here as well jamie yeah, well, why not? A blaze I, for me, four stars. Oh, I think brilliant. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm going to do 4.5. I remember it just knocked me sideways just for the narrative. As you said, like you, I'm not a fan of flashbacks. I'm not a fan of flashbacks or dream sequences. This book is an exception and the character of Blaze stunning. Um, And uh, Juma Key, I mean, that's that's a rhetorical question, really. Well, a Jim McKee for me is completely five. Five yeah. out of five, 10 out of 10, can't be beaten. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Well, listen, I'm doing 4.5 because I haven't read it for a while. I've only done it the once, but on the back of hearing this, on the back of he- hearing you so proudly say it's your favourite king of all time, I can't wait to reread it. Just after sunset. 2.5. Yeah. I really like the gingerbread girl. I really like the cat from hell. Um, and, and that's about it that I can remember. Like it's every time I finish it, I, I can't remember it. And, and it doesn't really, in the same way that I, I like that for Jim McKee, I don't like that for just after mm. sunset. Mm. And I'm going to go for two because again, I just, I, I just feels frustrating. It feels like just treading water and a little bit of a hodgepodge when I just want him to keep going deeper and deeper. Um, and then of course, under the dome, where are we going with under the dome? Four. Four for me. Um, I think, you know, uh, I, I really, really do enjoy this book. The reason it doesn't get a full five is it's, it's just one of those, it's like anything, there's those books you read that are great, but they're not masterpieces. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to go for 3.5 because I still think, you know, it's quite impenetrable to begin with. And then it is an absolute riot. But I just cannot get the Simpsons out of my head whenever I look at this book, which is no fault of Kings. But um, uh, yeah. Uh, But again, uh, a a good solid 3.5. And obviously, uh, Big Jim Rennie is is absolute quality gold. Yeah. so listen, Jamie, wow, uh, another decade done, which is is taking us on now to the, the, the recent stages in King's career, right? And when yeah. he becomes he becomes a crime writer, a thriller writer, a, a police procedural expert. Yes, and if we get up to fairy tale fantasy writer. There we go, yeah. So dear listeners, please stay with us because we've still got a whole load of books to, to, to look at including introducing uh, Holly, that I know is a very divisive character, but again, a reason to listen, lover or hater, you know, she's there and there to stay. Um, And a whole host of books that King's written. So please, constant listeners, come back, join us. Uh, Join myself, Jamie, and the wonderful Willow (laughs) for more episodes of King Through the Ages. Jamie, it's been a real pleasure, sir. Thanks, Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Size was written and presented, edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at King Size Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.